Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Anne Friedman, and we are long-distance besties. <laughs> I... <laughs> One day we'll do this intro and it'll sound like the same across the board. Just like clawing towards some kind of professionalism. We need to like do a survey of NPR hosts about how they found their announcer voice. Um, definitely not drinking as much wine as I am right now. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so jealous. I'm sober and just off an airplane, aka living my worst life. Um, that's crazy. So I guess this means that we don't really have an agenda today because I'm too much wine and you just got off a plane. So... Maybe let's just answer a lot of mail that we've gotten. <laughs> Call your girlfriend. It's time you had the talk. Give your reasons. Say it's not her fault. But you just met somebody new. The only thing that I really felt we should discuss on air was this, like, Karl Lagerfeld recreating a feminist protest Ugh. on the runway. <laughs> yes, sure, let's talk about it. What is there to talk about except that Karl is a monster and that people who, like, don't understand how femfertizing works or whatever their actual, like... Empowertizing? Yeah, like, empower... It's... So, I mean, I will confess this. I like I like fashion. I like Chanel. I even like Karl Lagerfeld. Um, I thought that the runway show was um, was actually really funny because it was this take on the 1968 like student riots in France, and obviously it's like fresh off of the heels of like Emma like Emma not Emma Stone other Emma uh, Watson Emma Watson. Watson that one Hermione, you know like uh, her her feminist speech. And so, every, you know, like, everybody's having a moment right now with empowering women. But it was so... The show was really tacky, and some of the signs in French were actually really offensive. You know, like, there was one that said, um, feminist, but feminine. And, <laughs> you know, like, what does that mean? I mean, I just kind of love talking about how simultaneously terrible and wonderful Karl Lagerfeld is. I have a feeling about him the way I think some people feel about like whatever classes they take for exercise. God, I don't even know what they're called. Like a like a spin class instructor, you know, where I'm like <laughs> you're like I, I don't hate know workout like vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I actually do not even have a vocabulary for this. But, you know, he's like he's like a, you know, like the ultimate villain. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Thank you. Like stroking a hairless cat while cackling. Well, his cat isn't hairless, but... You know. I mean, you know, we've seen the documentary. He's definitely a villain. <laughs> oh my God, I love the documentary. Also, that quote about showing everyone else how useless they are by working like 10 times harder. I I just... I, I That's how I console myself when I feel I've been working too much. No, right? Like, I, so I really, I really identify with that. Like the strong work ethos, right? But also like never forget Carl Lagerfeld, the person who, like, called Adele fat and said that she would never, like, she's not beautiful. The person who always says, like, problematic things about women's bodies. Um, don't buy the fact that he is staged, like, a fake feminist moment. 
Yeah, I mean, basically, this is peak empowertizing. Like, Ugh. there's nowhere to go. From but it's here. not even good, right? Like, Dove is peak empowertizing, and it's like makes you feel really good, and you're like, wait, but how does shampoo like solve my problems? You know, <laughs> like soap or whatever. But I just felt like this was not very well done, and I was, was really me- surprised that people fell for it, like hook line sync. There was a part of me that actually thought it was like parodying empowertizing because we're so far beyond being over. Ooh, good theory. Faux I like that theory better. Um, yeah. You know, it also holds with the evil villain thing. <laughs> I don't know. My favorite part of the whole thing is that like Kendall Jenner was like front and center. And you know how I love the Kardashian Jenners. I think it's like fantastic that Kendall actually has like a real modeling career. All her other sisters, like, catalog at best. And Kendall's, like, <laughs> international runways. Like, that made me really happy. Yeah, on the catwalk, on the catwalk, yeah, I shake my little tush on the catwalk. <laughs> okay, I feel like that's enough news, and now we can answer mail. <laughs> Yes, let's answer mail. I actually haven't read any of these, so um, it's going to be really funny. I just pasted a bunch in an email, too, so I think you should just randomly pick one. Okay, our first caller, caller, reader, person says... Listener. Listener, listener. I always forget this word. Ugh. I was wondering if you have any opinions slash thoughts slash cautionary tales slash etc. about a man removing your tampon for you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I was not prepared for that. As in, you're both so caught up in the moment that he sees a dangling string and says, don't worry, I'll take care of this. Wow, we are zero to this weekend menstruation. Oh like, do not pass god. go. I, like, you did not ease me into this. So, mm, isn't there, who is that lady who dated um, some beatnik who wrote a book about this? I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know. I may I may be making this up. I feel like there is like a very iconic scene of this happening with like a writer or somebody. And it was super sexy or Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like it's supposed to be super sexy, right? So it's like Jack Kerouac. Hold on. I'm Googling Jack Kerouac tampon. Jack Kerouac tampon <laughs> string, one of the top Google searches of all time. <laughs> Hold on. Please. That man was like too busy being self-involved on mescaline to even notice know. anyone Jack else Kerouac was wearing definitely a tampon. like was boning some lady and then took her tampon out. Okay, moving on past this. Here's what I think. I don't have any cautionary tales about this. <laughs> but I think if it's sexy to you, then it's sexy. Right. And if you were like, actually, I would prefer to do that myself in another room, then that's what you should advocate for. <laughs> no, also, I don't actually know how we can advise someone about this. <laughs> I don't know. Also, I'm just like, it, like, if you can find another human, like not even a dude that is like down with pulling your tampon, like Dianu, like that's like, it's, it's a wrap. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to stop because we already went there last episode and just move on directly from that. Okay, so we're like, we're moratorium on period sex. (laughs) Yeah, we're just going to consider this topic closed, plugged, diva cupped. Diva cupped. Okay.
next listener question. Wondering if you have any advice for a female software engineer. Oh, my core demo. Love you. Who's graduating college this year and looking for a job. I'm both excited for the future and grossed out by the people and values of my field. How do I find a place to work that makes me feel good? This summer, I had an engineering internship, which was supposed to be, quote, perfect, but I felt like crap most of the time. I like coding, but being in that room made me spend the whole time wishing I was reading the novel hidden in my purse. Oh, first of all, I'm really sorry you had a bad experience at your internship because you seem very competent and wonderful. Yeah, you're like a female software, like the, the future belongs to you. What? Um, it is true. It's true. So here, you know how I love fresh out of college people. And I'm going to say something maybe that you're not supposed to say, but here's the deal. The first couple of years after you get out of college, like, frankly, your job is going to suck. It's, it's so it's going to suck in the sense that, like, you don't have power to make a lot of change, you know, or that you have to take jobs for resume building things. But it doesn't mean that you have to be miserable at them. I mean, I 100 percent agree with that. But I think that there's a difference between, like, I'm dissatisfied in my entry level job. I know I could be doing things that are more challenging or I could have a role that grants me more. I don't know. I could have bosses who listen to me. It, that's different than sort of like, a, oh, this environment is actually shitty or like I'm not respected at all, even for the menial or lowly job that I do here. So this is um, OK. That's fair. I just I just think there's a difference between like sort of dissatisfaction with the role or the place you're at right out of school. And then like because I, I, I think about what was my first not my first job out of college, but my first journalism job was one where. I definitely felt uncomfortable in the work environment. And it wasn't because of anything related to the job description or, yeah. you know, it was definitely because it was like a sexually harassing workplace. How long which did I you know stay is, there? Um, two months. <laughs> what was the like breaking point? Uh, well, the breaking point was like me fortuitously getting another job, which I know is not a luxury most people have. But the real like got to get out of here point was when I had a lunch with my boss after my first month like a check-in how are things going and um he is someone who sort of how do I put this it wasn't like he was like groping me or anything but he was like always asking questions about my like love life or what was happening with me in these like personal ways that didn't that were definitely like creepy old man-ish not like I'm trying to be your friendly co-worker and after I kind of shut down a lot of those questions at this one month check-in lunch, he was like, yeah, you know, all your performance is fine. The headlines you're writing are fine, whatever else. (laughs) And then was sort of like, but you know, your behavior in the office, you know, and most new employees try to please the boss. Oh my God. It's like, and you, sorry, you're not pliable enough for this job. It's true. And I was like, is there a problem with my performance? Like fresh out of college, (laughs) empowered baby feminist. I was like, bring it back to the job description. I know, right? Always bring it back to the job description. Well, okay. There's another thing I kind of want to address in this question, right? Is this idea of like the values and the people in technology. I know that we are at this like really critical moment in our culture where we were hearing all of these just insane stories, you know, coming out of this field in particular. And I don't think that that should discourage anyone. Like tech is amazing. Um, There are some awful, awful, awful people to be fair, but there's also awful bankers. There's awful librarians. There's terrible doctors. 
if you're a lady, good luck finding a work environment that is going to be like that super posy all the time. But I do think that there is something in taking a leap of faith and really just trying to build a network of people that think like you and that are awesome like you. I would think back to like what kind of problems are you trying to solve, right? Are you trying to like do some dumb like Uber for cash or Uber for pillows company or do you are there like things that you actually want to change and you have a skill set that will help you do that? Like I think especially in the, you know, in, in civic tech and just some really cool shit that's happening in our field right now. And I think that it would be really sad to see somebody turned away because some people are awful. I, I also love this listener's question because she asks, how do I find a place to work that makes me feel good? It's a proactive question. You know, she doesn't yeah. say all of tech seems terrible, which, you know, maybe is sort of implied, but definitely not the case, as you point out. I was going to mention actually... I have always felt that you learn a lot about uh, what it's like to work somewhere by going through the process to get there. So like places that have, you know, a lot of hierarchy will often have sort of an arduous interview process or places that are kind of disorganized. You're like, what are you doing? I don't hear back from you. Or places that sort of ask you questions about what you're like outside of work and genuinely seem to care about the answers, maybe value your work-life balance a little more. I think that paying attention to how you feel in the interview will probably be some indication of how you might feel working there full time. Totally. Interviewing also just like dating, right? It's not just a one, it's not a one way street. Like you want to ask some really pointed questions and you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Yeah, I love I love asking, um, you know, because a lot of workplaces now will not just have your potential boss interview you, but like a couple of people in different roles And I always love asking what is the best and the worst thing about working here. Um, Because I I found that people will be pretty honest. um, Oh, yeah. Especially if you get them solo. Or especially like the people who are disgruntled in interviews are always the most honest people. (laughs) Find someone who's on the way out. (laughs) Yeah, someone who's on the way out or someone who's like, oh, my God, we just need to hire somebody in this position. Like those people will give you like so much real talk that it's scary but also i find that it's super helpful right so all Um, of that said um you know to to this lady you're a coder you're amazing listen to your gut and uh you're gonna be just fine yeah especially because you um you know have a skill that is very much in demand you know it's a lot harder out there for for like baby journos who are having a harder time finding a job or like other professions so you're actually in an awesome power position to kind of to pick and choose right? maybe where you uh, want to end whenever up. i walk into a job interview all i'm thinking is i'm the captain now um <laughs> tonight i will like... not let you be the captain <laughs> Tell me, tell me, you tell me. All right. Next listener writes, The last time I saw my long-distance bestie, she said some things to me that were kind of slut-shamey and really hurt my feelings. I didn't tell her about it at the time because I was kind of stunned. It seemed to come out of nowhere. She also introduced me to her local friends with stories that embarrassed me. Yeah, this is a long-distance bestie scenario. She and I still talk on the phone and email, but I haven't brought it up that I haven't brought up that incident with her, 
even though it's still kind of weighing on me and making me feel shitty. Should I wait until I see her next, who knows when, or bring it up on the phone, Skype, whatever, even though that might be awkward? What do you do when you need to get real with your long-distance bestie, but your only method of communication is through fiber optics? So real, man. Too real. Ugh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that we can't say, I don't know. Like, we're contractually and legally obligated to not say, I don't know. (laughs) As long-distance friendship experts, we have no idea. (laughs) Well... I think that the crux of it is that, like, if you don't know when you're going to see somebody next and something is really bothering you, you should say something because the awkwardness will be there whether you do it on the phone. But, like, trust, it's also awkward if you do it in person. It is especially more awkward when it's been, like, weeks or months and you're like, yes, hey, seven months ago you did this one thing that really hurt my feelings. You know, like, I think that that that's always like a... And then the other person is like, so you didn't reply to my email about Karl Lagerfeld orchestrating a fashion <laughs> protest because I said something that hurt your feelings seven months ago? Is that what's going on here? Like, no, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's so tough. But I really think that, like, you know, fiber optics aside, that, like, friendship is really an exercise in how to love people and how to receive love from people. And... Like, people feel differently about this, right? Like, I'm very much of it. If there's something wrong, you need to tell me right now. Because if you wait months to tell me, it will, one, it will hurt my feelings. But also, you know, like, I'm a jerk. So it will kind of diminish how serious I think it is because you waited so long, right? And that's not necessarily fair. But everybody deals with conflict in their own way. So I think this is a, like, rip out the band-aid situation. Especially because you are hurt and you want to fight for your friendship. It's not like you're hurt and you're like, oh, I never want to speak to you again. Also, the truth is that long distance is kind of the default of your friendship at this point. It's not like you're mostly in the same place and, you know, you're both just on vacation and then you're going to talk about this when you're together again. Like, you kind of have to figure out how how to do both the fun stuff and the difficult stuff of friendship long distance if you're really going to maintain Totally, you know, and I think that the things that this person is upset about are really valid, right? Like, feeling like feeling slut-shamed by your friend is something that's crazy, but also, you know, feeling, feeling that the, you know, the other person's, like, local friends think that you're kind of a, a like, bananas person. Like, that's right. also, is something that is really hurtful, but it's also something that is, like, easily rectifiable. I'm sorry to say, you're going to have to address it head-on. Head-on. Only way. Uh, I hate giving advice because then I'm like, uh, I gotta, I gotta do all this stuff. Um, I feel like we need to be better at doing like, like the, the Cheryl Strayed, like, let's tell a touching story about us and then reassure you that we love you and then hit you with the hard truth. (laughs) (laughs) But, but (laughs) I think we just say we don't know a lot and then hit you with the hard truth, which doesn't instill confidence. You know, I... (laughs) I don't know. I have been through this particular scenario and I feel like I'm also kind of going through it right now. And I think that it is really hard and it's really awkward and it makes you feel super petty. You're like, ugh, why am I so upset at somebody who's so far away? But I think that if you if you want to stay friends with somebody, you like you 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 really have to put all of that aside and you have to put yourself in those like hard positions sometimes. I also have to say that I've been on the other side of this, where as someone without a stunning level of emotional intelligence, I have like been the one to tell a story about someone. And later they have said, 
oh, you know, like, why did you tell everyone my baggage? And I was like, I thought I was telling a great story about, you know, how well you weather adversity or some shit like that. <laughs> and like, yeah. So I think that if, if she is a true long distance bestie, she really wants to know too. Yay. Good luck, listener. Um, Good luck. Let, let us know. Woo. So All right, yeah. next one. I think this next one is lighter. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Okay. All right, go. I was talking with some friends today about sharing an office or cubicle space. Ugh, already I'm like, ugh. With a coworker who won't leave you alone. No. (laughs) How do you deal with someone at work who is so chatty that it's affecting your work? I have a really easy answer. Sorry. Please, me too. Tell me the answer. This is... My answer is headphones. Large, prominent headphones. I have a pair that are bright red that I use frequently in a co-working setting. What is yours? So here's the deal. I'm going to tell you two things. Um, There is a real backlash against headphones that's happening in American offices right now. I know that you work in your own space. Some places, like, it's not okay to wear headphones. Um, oh, my God. What is happening? And I was also the kind of manager where on some days it was not okay to wear headphones <laughs> for people that I manage. I'm but, exhaling deeply here. But here's the thing. Um, also, I have had coworkers that are so chatty that the headphone trick doesn't work. Because when I'm wearing headphones, nine out of ten times, there's actually no music in them. It's just my, like, signal for, like, I'm going inside. I can't talk right. to you right now. Me too. Me too. Um, but I've had people who like don't respect the headphone space. And I really think that if this person is your coworker and it's like not your, you know, like a person that's a peer to you, it's totally okay to pull the like, hey, I'm really trying to get this done. Like, let's set some time for chatting. It's It sounds like a dick move, but like <laughs> I found that it stuns both parties. <laughs> Is that the workplace equivalent of scheduling sex? Yeah, no, totally. It's like, hey, you know, like, some time is for for talking and some other time is for for working. Or the other thing that you do is that you try to redirect all the conversation to chat if you work in an office that has, like, various kind of chat rooms. And then you don't have to necessarily answer that person. So it's basically like office recess. You're like, can we chat about that at recess? No, totally. (laughs) I mean, listen, it's like I can feel who this like chatty coworker is. Like I've had them and it is really distracting because everybody has like a different work style. I don't like talking to people when I'm getting shit done. It is really good that you work in an actual office when people send us questions like this. I am now like, who is exposing the office backlash against headphones? No, I need to be this the one is to a, this is like this. a real thing. Like headphones, is, some places like will not let you wear headphones ever at all because who? Why would you be listening to music at work? Like that is disrespectful. I'm gonna do some investigative reporting about this. Check it out. Maybe you need to get into an office for like a week. Mm. Like right. a cultural exchange program. That's crazy. Okay, good luck with your chatty coworker. Woof. Or, you know, another thing that you can do too sometimes is just be an asshole and go up to your manager and say, hey, like working conditions are really hard in this open cube situation. Like, how can we help? How can we solve that? Because guess what? Some people get paid more money than you do to like figure out productivity issues. Oh, fantastic.
next email came addressed to Ann Minatu. <laughs> like, is that our celebrity couple name now? Is it? I don't know. Let's workshop it. This listener writes, would you speak... Oh, my God. Would you speak as to your high school experience? Oh, my God. Maybe some lessons slash tips from the other side. How did you personally find your focus, your jam, your arrow? Oh, so good. Follow your arrow. Oh, my God. Tell us about uh, baby Amina. So my experience is a little bit different because um, I grew up going to French school And then when I was a sophomore, I was like, I want to speak English and I want to move to America one day. So I transferred to an American high school, but it was an American high school overseas in Nigeria, to be precise. So I think that my high school experience is, it's a little different, right? Because it's still like your weird American high school situation, but there's the added benefit of like, it's not in America. Oh, also, my high school was, like, deeply religious. It was run by, like, 13 mission boards. But Baby Amina was a fucking champ. So here, <laughs> here's my deal about high school. I had a blast in high school. I think I was the funnest person at my high school. I didn't have a lot of friends. And I was, like, so aware that it had an expiration date. You know? I was like, I just need to do, like, so since I started the American school, like, as a sophomore, I was like, I have three years here. I want to be, like, top of my class because all of these kids are idiots, but also I want to have a good time. (laughs) So the problem for me that presented itself is that as a sophomore, all of my friends were seniors. So my junior year, I had no friends. (laughs) I was one of those as well, like an older friend. Because all of my friends had graduated. And our classes were like really small. My class was 29 people, you know, and that was like the biggest class that we had had in a long time. But also because it's like missionaries, it's like there's everybody's a sibling, you know, because those, you know, it's like quiverful situation. They're all having like 10 <laughs> kids to pop. So, <laughs> so really 29 people, there were like four personalities. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. Like it was really hard to like not be a Christian at the Christian school for once because like a lot of those Christian kids were huge hypocrites. I kept getting in trouble for everything. And I realized that it's because I wasn't like on the religious in circle, right? So, like, somebody would do something bad, and then it would be, like, it must be that Amina girl. And so Mm. I kept getting, like, called up to the superintendent's office, and people would pray for me. And literally, the only thing I think that saved me in high school is that I actually had a good relationship with my parents. And because I thought, like, the other kids at high school were so lame, I was boarding school. I went home on weekends because my family only lived about, like, four hours away. And my parents are always like, nope, like, there's no way... I mean, as responsible for this pot at this party, she was at our house. She was at our, you know, it was like, you people are crazy. And I was also, I just like kind of, I didn't care. Like, I think I was definitely a popular person just because I had this like, you know, like, I don't care kind of, you know, like bravado going on. But also I was, I was friendly to everyone. Like there was not a kind of person that I, I couldn't see myself being friendly with or at least giving a chance to. And I think that that for me opened a lot of doors in high school. Like I didn't have weird like social hierarchies that high school kids have. Maybe this is like crazy, but I think American kids like take high school way too seriously. I've, I've gathered yeah, I mean, this from my experience there, but also like pop culture. I was like, this is not that serious. <laughs> We're all talk to people our age now and they still have like high school wounds. You know, it's like 
and then this thing happened at prom and then like <laughs> that you know and I'm like are you serious like you're 30 like grow the fuck up nobody nobody cares about your weird like high school wound but that's a very like culturally American thing where it's this huge rite of passage and there's so much that's attached to it I don't know the way that I like found my focus I guess is I read a lot and I this was like a thing I think and for me that also was like really helpful in in college when I went to college in Austin is that I just liked being friends with people that were not necessarily like people that I knew through school I don't know how the other people felt about me but I had a great time that's how you know you had a great time when you're like I don't know how anyone else felt about me I had a I had a good time that's just like how you know you did it right basically in any context (laughs) (laughs) like high school or whatever um yeah, let me, th- I don't, I mean, I'm a way better person now than I was in high school. I can just say that, like, totally Were you, like, one of those, like, broody, like, no, listen to the so Smiths, actually, like, too cool for school kids? So here's the thing. I, I am from a town of about 60,000 people in Iowa, and I went to a Catholic school that was pretty small. I was very into communicating to everyone that I was not Catholic. Um, and not, <laughs> How does like, one communicate that? Well, and, and not into like, like, I was very like testing like the baby alt waters. I was from a small enough town that there was no like venue to go see music or there was no way to sort of be like, I'm different. So you had to like find ways to, I mean, look, this is so passe already. Like I remember listening to the, uh, the long form podcast interview with Tavi where she's like, People don't really care about categories. There aren't like, you know, jocks and alts and Hallelujah. stoners and all of that is like totally a hallmark that you're an old person, that you have categories <laughs> like that. But when I was in high school, it was very important for me to communicate to people that I was not going to live in Iowa when I was older, that I did not enjoy Leonardo DiCaprio or the Backstreet Boys. I'm very much like dating where I was. I know. You know, like I was like, I was not into the dating. mainstream. <laughs> right. Culture carbon dating. So in the dinosaur era when I was in high school. Yeah, it was it was it was very important to me to distinguish myself. I think because I had to convince myself that I was going to leave. Like it was really all about me <laughs> in a different way than it was all about you. Yeah. And so I don't think that I was, I don't, I didn't really have any beef with anyone. I don't think I didn't get along with anyone, but I definitely was like clear. I don't like the same stuff you guys like. I was not into going to school dances. I was not into like school athletics. I, I oh, was man. editor of we the high school newspaper. We all had to newspaper. play sports, private school. What? Oof. Yeah, private. I mean, there's 29 people and we have, it's like basically a requirement. You, you can't like not play sports. I mean, that sounds like my nightmare. There was one girl that didn't do sports, and honestly, she was a jerk. And I think that if she had done the sports, she would have been better adjusted. Wow, way to speak to my high school self. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. She was always like, I don't have any friends. Why is everybody so mean? And I was like, maybe you're an asshole. You know, I don't know. Throw a shot put. I don't know. I mean, I was definitely an asshole. I was, but I wasn't dark. Like, I was definitely sad that I wasn't darker. Like, I remember my friends being into Nine Inch Nails, and I was into Belle and Sebastian. I was like, I like it because it's happy. <laughs> like, I was alt, but not dark. That's so I, funny. I fell asleep to some sort, God, what's that one Iowa dark metal band? Slipknot? Yes, Slipknot. <laughs> So some boy in high school was, like, smuggled a Slipknot CD to, like, Christian boarding school. 
and was like, hey, this is great music. Like, he was back from the States that year. And we had, like, a weird, you know, like, could this happen? Could this not happen? Like, thing. And nothing happened. But he, like, gave me all this music, right? And so I fell asleep listening to Slipknot, which is, like, Slipknot is terrible. I did not know this at the time. But (laughs) my house parents were very concerned and very upset at the kind of music I was listening to and how it's, like, not edifying to God. So we had to have a conversation about that. But you want to know the funniest thing? That same boy is the boy who, like, got me to listen to Coldplay for the first time. I was like... The, your range of interest is, like, fascinating to me. I mean, people trying to find themselves like a whole range of things. <laughs> That's one of the great things about teenagers. It's true. Oh, you know, one thing I forgot that I, I think was, like, so real for me in high school. So my sophomore year and my first year at the school, all of the girls in my class were really mean to me. And I, like, didn't understand Aww. why. Like, they, it was like like a movie, like, mean girls mean. And I was really good friends with, like, all of the bad boys <laughs> at this point, which I think, like, also made them feel a little intimidated. And so it, was, it wasn't probably until, yeah, the, the tail end of my junior year where I was like, hey, why are you guys, like, being, like, d- like assholes? And, you know, and some of them are still assholes, but I have, like, two good friends from that era. So it's, like, it's not, it's not bad. But, yeah, I think that's why also when I got to college I was so into having women friends because my high school... I tried having women friends in, in in high school and they were just not chill, you know? Yep. And then, yeah, that was really weird. I, yeah, I felt like it was straight out of a movie. So it was really comical. Like I wasn't actually, like I didn't feel bullied or hurt by it. I was like, you look ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, again, the most adult reaction. I would have been like, I hate all these people. I mean, junior high was a very like rough time for me where I was explicitly mocked and ostracized and had my like, oh my Aww. God, that thing that happened to me at the prom. But maybe that's why I was, like, in high school, like, fuck everyone, I'm biding my time because I'm going to leave and never look back. Yeah. And by the time, especially the latter years of high school, it wasn't cool to be mean anymore. You know what I mean? The backlash against bullying was, like, I not mean, cool. Kind of. Yeah, anyway. no, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, it was just, I just never understood, like, people who were mean in high school for no reason but also I think that that thing at international school and maybe the straight American school like unclear to me is that really the reason that there's not you know like there nobody cares if you're a jock or whatever but what actually sets you apart like the real cachet is getting good grades (laughs) and um and I was like I was a top performing student so I was like (laughs) can't tell me nothing as far as I was concerned you know that's how you manipulate your parents if you're like a high schooler you just get My parents grade. would not be manipulated by good grades. They, like, were convinced I was out getting stoned all the time. No. I, was... I mean, I think my parents thought that, even though I did not get stoned once in high school. Anybody from high school, if you're listening to this, yes, that's true. I drank very little, um, except for my senior year. But I think everybody just thought that I was, like, you know, like I was, like, a bad girl. And I was like, this is so interesting. Literally, all I'm doing is reading by myself. <laughs> The dream. The, <laughs> the dream. dream. Okay. Anyway. Um, high school, just read a lot, meet your own people, like, you know, build your power. And, it's and I honestly four years. think that like your Slipknot to Coldplay transitioning, like, suitor, the best, <laughs> the best thing about, like, about crazy teenage years is, like, doing lots of different things. And this week I'm goth, next week I'm not, <laughs> whatever. 
that's the only find your arrow tip for high school. Like it gets more serious later, but totally. And then, you know, and also like, just don't be that person that you peaked, you know, like, I don't know, prom night, like 1999. Like, don't be that person. I mean, anyone who's going to hear that advice slash already be listening to this podcast is is peaking post high school. Uh, like, I don't think we have to. Right? Worry. It's like, cut the fat. Like, most people, like, most people are not with us. Okay, tell me, tell me, tell me. All right. Uh, A listener writes, I still can't stop watching, supporting the Niners, and I feel extremely guilty about it. Is that a football team? I mean, hang on. Punchline's coming. What do you guys think? Can you be pro-woman and still support football? Okay, this is a football question. This is when somebody tells me a team name that I don't know, and I send the, like, football or baseball emoji, and I'm like, which one? Yeah. Um... I mean, listen, you can be pro-woman and support anything you want. You just have to live with your choices. Um, <laughs> I watched that uh, PBS special on concussions, the frontline on concussions, um, earlier this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking to me. Like, it's like I came away watching it just thinking that basically it's going to be like big tobacco, you know, mm-hmm. the backlash is coming. And also, parents are just not going to let their kids play football anymore, like, with the research and the data that's there, and that's what's going to, like, sink football, only, like, poor black kids. I think that's going to take a long time, though. No, 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 it is a long time, you know, like, and it'll be, like, boxing, like, only, like, poor people go into it, right, because of money. I agree, but I think that's, like, 40 years in the future. We know a lot of women that watch football. We should... The reason that I don't watch football is because I don't care. Like, I like college football. I'm a Texas Longhorns fan. Um, but yeah, I don't really follow, I don't follow football. Obviously this conversation is happening right now, right? Like, are you an evolved person if you watch football? I don't know. I actually think that football fans who care about women or who care about, you know, I mean, the repetitive injury thing is a little different because you actually cannot play football without injuring brains. Like that's different than the idea of how does the NFL Oh, this is like a domestic violence and women thing. Right, right. So, right. so setting aside the concussion issue, which came up because of the documentary and whatever, if we just talk about the NFL's response to various types of assault and violence, and like I'm going to throw in racist team names as well. <laughs> like I actually <laughs> think people who are supporters and fans have the most leverage to change some of those things. Like the NFL doesn't care if I object to the way they handle players who have been convicted of assault or accused of assault the league doesn't care if i object to racist team names i am like i spend zero dollars like i i feel like there has to be some sort of coalition of fans people who are the constituency for this massive money-making operation to say look i love football and this team i hate these things that you do and we together the fans want you to stop it I wonder if there's anybody that's actually doing that because every time I encounter like woman football, it's like pink jerseys, and I'm like, why? Like, why? Right. Well, maybe there needs to be a like a coalition of um, pro woman NFL fans who demands 
this sort of shit because I would happily co-sign, but my opinion means absolutely nothing yeah. to the NFL. Yeah, my Monday nights are should. like really important to me. Um, I like no. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, I guess you can be pro woman, and I guess you can watch football, but wah wah. I mean, yeah, totally. Be the founder of the fan association to make the NFL get serious about abuse and assault. That's my advice to you. I, I'll leave it at that because I was thinking about that like cover girl partnership that the NFL has and well, all of these that, you know, like all of these like just ridiculous, like not happening things. But also like I do wonder this, right? I th- Like obviously everybody is like focused on the NFL and domestic violence. But I would be really curious to see, like, you know, like, what the NBA does about domestic violence, what that, you know, like... Totally. No, it's not just, like, football players that hit their wives and girlfriends. Um, yeah. Well, hey, that was a lot of mail. Oh, my gosh. So many issues. Yeah. Keep writing us. You can write us at callyrgf at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at callyrgf, or find us on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Thanks so much for listening and writing and all of that because, and putting up with our I don't knows. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there are people who are way better. Like, let's never write as self help, like anything. Done, packed. All right. See you on the internet. See you on the internet, boo.